welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. I'm your host, Carter Bond. Back with me again, as always, is Connor Sparrow. Connor, let's get right into it. We're on a time crunch. The, the laptop might die. I don't know. We're getting ghetto here on the Carter Cast, so laptop might die. Don't have a charger with me. I'm on the road right now. Let's talk about Game 7. Unbelievable. I mean, the fact that we even had a Game 7. We talked about it before. We recorded after Game 4. Five, I believe, correct? It was 3-2 yeah. Boston to just one in Boston. And I, I thought the Celtics were going to come back. Even after that game, I said, Celtics are going to come back. They're going to win this series. No doubt in my mind. Yeah. No, a little bit of doubt. I'm not going to say no doubt in my mind. But we kept saying last podcast, we said, if the, if the Celtics, they're going to win game seven at home. There's almost no way, no way that the Celtics don't win game seven if they win game six. They miraculously miraculously win Game Six, one of the great games, great playoff games we'll ever watch. I mean, when Derek White, you saw Marcus Smart take mm-hmm. that shot, so on brand that he takes the last shot in that game, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Derek White gets it. I mean, I don't know about you, but going nuts, no rooting interest in this game. I really don't care. Even like my take loses, whatever. But then it rolls into Game Seven. Game Seven, you're sitting there thinking, "Holy smokes, man!" Like. Three three Boston's an eight seven and a half eight point favorite. There's no way they don't lose in Boston, and the Miami Heat somehow do it again, win by twenty. It, it, nothing makes sense in this playoffs, is what I did the long form of getting to say. Yeah, that is uh, that's pretty spot on, Carter. I, I I was on the podcast. I said, you know, I think the Heat can pull it off in six, but if it goes seven in Boston, I like the Celtics to win at home. I thought it'd be a lot like that Philadelphia game seven where Boston kind of, you know, the crowd was into it and they pulled away. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room though. Jason Tatum did roll his ankle on the first play of the game and that did play into it. I'm not saying Boston would have won that game if he didn't roll his ankle, but he clearly wasn't right the rest of the game. He could barely run on it. He couldn't get any lift on it. He only shot one for four from three, I think. It affected it. It affected it. It did. And Jalen Brown couldn't hold on to the ball. Eight turnovers. I mean... I don't know, Carter. This Heat team was more disciplined. They were hitting shots. Caleb Martin was hitting every big shot for them, and they were just poised. Is that At the end of the day, they were poised. They played good defense. They made Boston take tough shots, make decisions, make the wrong decisions a lot of times. And every time Boston would make a little mini run and get it to within seven, eight points, they would respond. They'd score three, four, five times in a row. They didn't, they didn't let up. They were the better team. They were the more mature team, and... If you're Boston, you got a lot of decisions to make this offseason. A lot of decisions. Yeah. At 9, 10 Eastern time, May 30th, two days until game one of the NBA Finals. But going back to the game seven of it, I know like we keep talking about all playoffs. It's been the story of all playoffs, the Caleb Martin part. And I know mm-hmm. us Hornets fans and us ACC fans, it doesn't make sense. Like it, – like, it, it still does not make sense. We watch these games, and he just keeps making shots. And you always expect just, like, whenever you're a Hornets fan, anytime they had the ball in their hands, you're like, oh, what are they going to do now? Yep. They could either, you know, it was a 50% chance. They could either go and have a top 10 dunk of the season, poster someone, destroy them, or they're going to dribble off their foot and hit their face, and it goes out of bounds. I mean, us Hornets fans, man. Cody Zeller and Caleb Martin both heading back to the finals. What's going on here? Um, back. Back. Sorry, not back. <laughs> heading to the finals for the first time. Um, I don't know, Carter. I think it really boils down to confidence. And when, even when Caleb Martin was in Charlotte, he didn't lack confidence. And you can go back to the early days of our podcast, the early days of the Carter cast before we had any graphics or anything. And you can probably find some clips of me saying, please, dear God, cut Caleb Martin at least. 
Like cut or the both twins. Cut both twins. of them. Cut both of them if possible, but at least one of them. And I was always vouching for Caleb to get cut. I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. And maybe it, I don't think he would have thrived like this in Charlotte. I think it's a really just a Miami Heat thing. Jimmy Butler's got them playing at a different level right now. And just confidence, confidence, confidence is what it is. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. I never would have expected this. And people are going to rag on the Hornets for cutting him, blah, blah. At the time, I think it was the right move. With the roster they had, and he wasn't doing anything like on the court. He wasn't playing any rotational minutes. He played a lot of time with the Greensboro Swarm. I don't think it was the wrong decision. I'm not mad at him. I think this is a credit to the Greensboro Swarm development system. Just saying. Hey, we're big Swarm fans. Maybe bigger Greensboro Swarm fans than Hornets fans. Yeah, we maybe. Love big time Swarm podcast. One day, one day, Connor, both of us will go do a, like a live show at the Greensboro Swarm. We'll, we'll we'll broadcast a game. Maybe we can get broadcasting rights here one. Oh, that that'd be G- amazing. <laughs> we might get more viewers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to touch on this, Carter. Whoa, 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 whoa! Before you get into that, before you get into that, Caleb Martin. Okay. All right. We we have to, we have to. This can't keep going on. It is so stupid that people believe he should have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. That's ridiculous. Jimmy Butler led in every stat, and he led this team. Without Jimmy Butler, they don't win those games. Obviously, you can say without Caleb Martin, they don't win those games either, but Jimmy Butler was the best player. He was the MVP. The fact that it was 5-4 to four in the voting, come on. Jimmy Butler was the best player. Quit playing into the media narrative. I'm going to fight back a little on this. I do think Jimmy Butler should have won it. But I don't think I don't have an issue with it being a close vote. If you watch the games, there was long stretches where Jimmy Butler would disappear. Now, yes, in the first couple of games, like he took over for sure. But in these games that Boston won, he would disappear for these long stretches. And Caleb Martin hit every big shot, even in Game Seven, momentum shifting shots. Now, yes, those were off Jimmy Butler penetration. It was off his pass. It was off his rebound, push the ball off the floor. Sure, but if you just look at the numbers and hitting big shots. Caleb Martin, I mean, there was a case to be made. It's almost like the finals back when Golden State won the first time. And that's Andre what I was going to bring up. Yeah, that's yeah, what when, I was going to bring up. When Iguodala won over Steph Curry and everybody was like, oh, you know, Curry had a pretty bad down series for his level. But but, I think and Iguodala's defense. Iguodala's yeah, defense. I, I think it's the opposite. I think Curry should have won that, no doubt. I, I think, think so, Iguodala, too. I think the Iguodala part of it is kind of a stain in NBA history, but that's another podcast. But I wanted to bring that up. I was I, – Jimmy Butler was the best player by far. He he was. Okay, he was the best player, and I I am glad that he won it. I think there was a little bit of uh, media hype surrounding Caleb Martin just because of the story, and I'm not taking anything away from Caleb Martin. Undrafted, crazy story. But I would have given it to Jimmy Butler. I'm not upset that there were a few votes for Caleb Martin. I'm not upset. The other thing, too, is what I found ironic is if you were listening to the broadcast the last, like, three games, Reggie Miller was just, like, creaming his pants to the fact that he was like, oh, Caleb Martin is the best player in this series. And then you see the votes. Reggie Miller voted for Jimmy Butler. So, oh, like, yeah. It was so funny. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. But what were you going to bring up before we uh, were talking about Caleb Martin? Well, nice little segue here with Caleb Martin, actually. If you're Boston... What do you do about Jalen Brown? Because in this series, I've heard people talk about it, and if you watched all seven games, Caleb Martin and Jimmy Butler, as a, as a as a tandem on the wing, were better than Tatum and Brown for the majority of this series. And that's honestly what it boils down to. So if you're in Boston and Jalen Brown is eligible to get 50, 50 plus mil, and then 60 plus mil the last couple of years of that Supermax deal, do you pay him that? I don't think you do. He had eight turnovers in a game seven. He can't dribble the ball. He shot 16% from three, which in the first two rounds, he was above 50 and above 40 against uh, Philly and um, Atlanta. But 16% from three, eight turnovers in a game seven. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can give that guy 50 million. 
Yeah, let me uh, let me read the contract to you. I sent it to you earlier. Uh, if he does, if Boston does bring him back, uh, year mm-hmm. one fifty million, year two fifty four million, year three fifty eight million, year four sixty two million, year five sixty six million dollars, and the cap is around what one thirty five, one hundred thirty five million. So that sounds right. Almost half your roster roster's pay is going towards Jalen Brown. That's not worth it. But the thing is, you sign him. You have to do it, and you. I think it's a catch twenty two here because if I'm Boston, you if you can, if you, if, I don't know how all the cap stuff works. I don't know what their cap situation is this summer with all the Malcolm Brown people and all that. I don't understand. I haven't looked into that yet. But if you can, I say you run it back one more time with a different coach. I really think that is the difference. And I think how, that's what they're. And also, you're not going to get more in return for Jalen Brown. I think that's what they're going to do. I think it's a very valid argument is that, yes, you can. it's easy for you to say, okay, don't sign Jalen Brown with this deal. But who are you going to get to replace him? Yes, it'll be cheaper, but is it going to be that third, caliber of play? The best trade I saw was Anthony Simons in the third overall pick. Yeah, and now something like that, if you're Boston, I, I would explore it. I don't think Jalen Brown's untouchable by any means. No, not untouchable at all. What if I was Boston? I say you sign him, do one more year, run it back, get a new coach, see how it goes, and if it doesn't work out next year, there's always going to be a team in the market for him that's willing to trade for him. There's all these teams: the Rockets, the Spurs, the whatever bottom of the barrel team you can think of that thinks they can take that next step with a guy like Jalen Brown. They'll be available next year, saying, "Hey, he, let's let's get him. I'll trade for him. You may not get as much." if he has a bad season or can't perform in the playoffs or have eight turnovers in a Game 7 NBA Eastern Conference Finals game. But I think it's worth the risk. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth the risk too, but uh, I have a point I want to make. Get the TikTok camera on. If you're the Boston Celtics right now and you have the opportunity to sign Jalen Brown the Supermax deal, I think they're going to do it. And I think that's the right decision because the replacement they're going to get is going to be what? Probably a downgrade. Yes, it may be cheaper, but it won't be the same level of production. But here's what I want to say. The Boston Celtics are not going to win an NBA championship with Jalen Brown as their second best player. And you have to be sure about this guy to sign up to the Supermax. And yes, they're going to do it. I can't see them making a championship run with him as their second best player, Carter. I just can't do it. Not when all this cap space is tied up. It's going to be over $110 million between Tatum and Brown or something ridiculous like that. You've got to be sure that those two can lead you to a title. And I'm not sure they can. I think this year might have been their best bet. I really do. I think it may have been their best bet, but... Why not next year? Why why would next year be their best bet? If they return everybody and get a better coach, why would next year be fine? And the thing is, we always think every offseason, we're like, oh, this team needs to do this, they need to do that, they need to do this. Most, I mean, 85 to 90% of teams are going to come back with relatively the same roster, adding a few draft picks and a couple average free agents. That's how oh. most of the league's going to be. And I think Boston... It's not a bad thing to run it back. Everyone has a bad taste in their mouth right now, and rightfully so. You can't lose by 20 at home against the Celtics. But if you're a Celtics fan, the way you rationalize it is, hey, Joe Mazzula was arguably one of the worst coaches in the league, and Jason Tatum got hurt on the first play. That's true, but then why are you down 3-0 against the Miami Heat, who are, yes, an 8 seed, but... And you go back to the Mazzula part, and if you... What was it, the third quarter of Game 3? That was awful. I mean that was all that was beautiful. They, they rolled over, but 
I don't know, Carter, with the cap situation, who are they going to surround him with? Al Horford's only getting older. Marcus Smart, you know, is he really going to be the tertiary option with them? Derek White emerged well late in the year. But when is the point? When is the tipping point? When is the point where they're like, okay, for whatever reason, yes, we're competing. Yes, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals or Semifinals every year. Yes, we made it to the Finals a couple times. When is the tipping point that you say, okay, this just won't work to win us a championship? We have to maybe not blow it up, but change some things, change some core pieces. What's the tipping point? I think it's next year. I, I really do think – because you have the whole Ime stuff before the season. I think that yeah. just gets slid under the rug a little too much. Like That's a big deal, losing your coach that took you to the NBA Finals and you have a weird controversy around it. You bring in the guy who's like, what, the fourth assistant because you lose Will Hardy. You lose some other – Damon Sotomayor who's now at Georgia Tech. You lose these guys. That, that matters. No, I agree. And coming into the year, nobody, nobody even knew who Joe Missoula was. Honestly, no. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are saying second row Joe. Unless you're I mean, like a college basketball savant, and you're like, oh, he was awesome on that 20, 2010 West Virginia team with Deshaun Butler. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure it was a tough adjustment for the players. You know, a coach that just took them to the finals, all of a sudden gone. And credit to them, they pulled it together. They were one of the most talented rosters in the league. But I think I think you're right about next year being the tipping point because eventually you have to look in the mirror and say, this this constructed roster, as it's constructed right now, is not going to win us in a championship. Yes, we can get to the Eastern Conference semis or the Eastern Conference finals every year, but that's not the goal of the NBA, Carter. And so I think eventually the frustration is going to boil over and something's going to happen, whether it be somebody requesting out, Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown, or them pulling the trigger and being like, all right, it's time to get some new pieces in here. I'm really curious to see what happens. And I know Joe Mazzola is going get to the, get the blame and be the scapegoat. And I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I don't know if that's just like a fix-all. I think he should because I think he made some very questionable coaching decisions. And the other part of it is, could you imagine being the team, being having Jalen Brown on that fifth year for $66 million? That's going to be rough. He, he's got to make some significant improvements. He's got to get a handle, and his defense has regressed since the, the first few years in the league, honestly. That, that, handle, that handle ain't coming. I don't think it is either. Like I saw a comparison. It's almost like a hockey player is like struggling with learning how to skate. Like a dr- like dribbling is like to be an elite basketball player. That's just something you take for granted that all these guys have a pretty nice handle, and, and he doesn't. That, and and he has a solid jump shot, but it's not like an elite jump shot. Guys like Clay Thompson and Michael Porter Jr. have elite jump shots, right. and they can get away with it. They're also in phenomenal systems. That's the other part of the Celtics we need to get to is that. Charles Barkley nailed it. It was just giving you a headache watching it. It's take your turn basketball. Like we always yes. talk about, the, why do I love the Warriors? Why do I love the Nuggets? Because they pass the ball. They move. They cut off-ball stuff. Look, Watch the Celtics when someone else has the ball. Every single person. It's like going to a pickup game at your local YMCA. It's, all right, I'm going to dance around until there's four seconds left. I'm going to take a step back. Or I'm going to drive in the lane last second and then maybe get lucky with an outlet alley-oop to like Al Horford or Robert Williams. It's horrible basketball. And that's like, And that's the part where I don't know if that ever changes. I don't think it does either, not with the way the roster is constructed, not with the Even personalities. Coaching. I don't think coaching matters. I don't know if it does either, and just watching, just specifically Game Seven last night, just watching, they didn't, they did not try anything different. Derek White was actually getting it going, getting some penetration, and they started going to that a little bit more, which was working. But I never saw a Tatum post up. I never saw a Tatum ISO at the elbow and pull it for a mid range like he did the first few years. And I'll credit Bill Simmons with this because I was actually thinking this myself. Why did they, why did they shy away from Tatum in the mid range game? Why are they shying away from that? I think they're very analytics driven. I heard him say that they're very analytics driven. Whereas, like, take a three or drive to the rim and get fouled. These mid ranges aren't going to work. But if that's the best part of your best player's game, you can't just strip that away from him for analytics. I don't think so. And also, 
analytics have to go out the window to some degree when it's playoff time. 100% agree. Analytics can work in the regular season, no doubt about that. But when it comes to playoff time and there's two minutes left and you need a bucket, who gives an F if it's a three or a layup? You want the best shot possible. Take the mid-range shot. Jason Tatum can continuously make that mid-range shot. He has a great fadeaway step back. Whatever, he can make any of those mid-range shots. And all you see was just dance around, step back, three. I mean, it sounds like an old white guy yelling at the lawn, you know, this isn't basketball, 80s basketball was basketball, John Stockton, all that. Like no, But to some point, it, it isn't basketball. It's not good basketball, obviously. Well, when the Celtics are hitting threes, everything's great. Everything's fine. It's gravy. It's paradise when they're hitting 20, 25 threes a game. Tatum shot 23% from three this round against Miami. Previous two years, I saw this stat. Previous two years, he was just under 40% from three. That's a huge regression. Now, credit the Heat's defense. We can get into that more when you preview the finals. Something's got to give, though. you got to switch something up when things aren't working. Horford finished the year second in three-point percentage. He was 28% against Miami. The shots just weren't falling, and the defense was there, but you have to do something different. The fact that you said 28% was surprising. I don't recall one point other than 1-3 last night where Al Horford made a shot. It felt like every single time he touched the ball, he missed. Well, yeah, well, well, that's what I'm saying is that they're not memorable shots either. They're not run stoppers. Like every time he or Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown would get the ball in the corner for like a momentum-shifting three, it would, it would miss. It would miss. And all, the other thing is, are they good threes? They weren't. None of them were good threes. The Heat are contesting threes. The and that's where you got to give the Heat credit is yeah. everybody was locked in defensively and getting up there causing trouble at the three point line. And that's where that's where you beat the Celtics. Is if you can guard the three, you got them. And like you said before the series started, and like you said last episode, the Heat can punk them, and they did. They did. And if you're the Celtics, I know you want to push the pace. I know you want to get more shots up, more threes up. But is an Al Horford pick-and-pop three with a guy closing out in his face with 15 on the shot clock, is that a great shot? I don't think so. You haven't reversed the ball at all. There's only been two two guys touch the ball, pick-and-pop, and there's a guy closing out in Al Horford's face. Can he make the shot? Yes. He's a, he's a respectable three-point shooter. He's an NBA player. He can make the shot. He's proven he can. I don't think that's a great shot in the playoffs. And they only scored 84 points. They only scored 84 points, Carter. And I don't think they never tried to switch it up, which was just shocking to me. I guess credit the Heat's defense and Tatum's ankle, but, man. They rolled over. Yeah, they did. They 100% did. Let's talk about the Miami part of it. I, All right. Anything else on Boston? I don't think th- – we. I think we kind of did it. No, I think that's about it. I'm just going to be curious to see whenever things start leaking out about, oh, this team would pay Jalen Brown this much money or this team wants Jalen Brown or Joe Mazzulla is probably out. I'm just curious to see how fast those things start leaking out and what they actually do in the offseason. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Let's move on to the Heat part of it all. Obviously, we talked about the Caleb Martin piece and how awesome he was. Jimmy Butler, we've mentioned it countless times throughout this playoff run, just bringing that insane, insane intensity to every single game. Everybody's buying in. But what? Just I, I don't have words. Like I, it sounds cliche. It sounds lame. It sounds you know, ro- you know, like a rom com thing. But I'm genuinely speechless at this run. I don't think people are appreciating how insanely ridiculous this is. Anybody who says they saw this coming is lying. Uh, the Heat were dead in the water. The negative point differential. Um, they were barely made it out of the play in tournament. Anybody who says they saw this coming is not telling the truth. And I just, I'm, I'm so annoyed. I've been seeing a lot of media narratives lately that are like. We should have seen this coming. Jimmy Butler, they were no. the one seed last year. Absolutely not. This year they is lost com- to the Hawks. They lost to the Hawks. This is this year is completely separate from last year. Yes, they brought back a lot of the pieces, but we had an 82-game sample size for them. 
and even the play-in tournament as well, that, that shouldn't have inspired any type of confidence. This run is unparalleled, and nobody saw this coming. And I don't think people are putting it in perspective how insane this actually is. Because, yes, Bam Adebayo, okay, he's their second option. He's a great player. He but hasn't even played that well. He hasn't played that well, and he's not a focal point of the offense. He's just not. You can't rely on him to get 20 a game. Yes, he'll have those 25 and 13 games, but there's a lot of games he'll have 10, 12 points and miss a lot of shots around the rim, and that's your second best player. And they've been relying on Caleb Martin to be their second their second um, offensive creation option, an undrafted guy. And he's been stepping up to the plate, but I don't think we've ever seen this before, Carter. At least since I've been watching the NBA, this is the most impressive finals run I've seen by far. Uh, everyone on Twitter was doing the 2018 LeBron Cavs run. I don't think it's, I mean, remotely close, but is this Miami Heat team the greatest finals run in NBA history? I think it is, just because you look at Jimmy Butler, nobody had him as a top 10 player coming into the year, or especially going into the playoffs, and now I think that's going to be reevaluated, and rightly so. Nobody had him as a top 10 guy going into the playoffs. Bam Adebayo, he's not a top 25, 30 guy. He's their second best player, and if you look at their supporting cast, Tyler Hero, who was sixth man of the year, you know, a couple of years ago, he's out with an injury, and they have all these undrafted guys as their supporting cast. I think this is the greatest run to the finals I've seen a team make, just by how improbable it is. And you can bring up the 2018 Cavs, and that is an amazing feat as well. But they did have LeBron, who everybody knew was the best player in the league, and yes, his supporting cast was very mediocre. But this Heat team supporting cast is on par with that, and they don't have LeBron. I think, and I also think it's just kind of the. It, you mentioned it, it's kind of on par. Like they're very equal. Like if you don't remember this Heat roster or this Cavs roster, got it pulled up for you. Hold up one second. Here we go. So we have LeBron. We have Kevin Love. Kevin Love might as well be Bam Adebayo, right? Yeah. Not the focal point of the offense. Get, does the dirty work. Get a bunch of boards. But even he was hurt. Even he was hurt. Yeah. J.R. Smith. That's very Caleb Martiny. Yeah. Right. You can go. Yeah. George Hill, Gabe Vincent, Rodney Hood, Duncan Robinson, maybe? Yeah. Tr- Tristan Thompson? I don't know who you'd go there because they don't really have a back. Yeah. Three. No, <laughs> I, I think you're making your point, though. This supporting cast for the Heat is Jeff very Green? on par. Jeff Green? Gr- Haywood, Hay- Haywood Highsmith. <laughs> uh, was Dwayne Wade on that roster? That was the year they blew it up early in the year. and okay, um, okay. That's what I thought. That was the whole... When they had D. Rose and Dwayne Wade and Isaiah Thomas, and they blew it up halfway through. Yeah. Um, you know, and they had, like, Jay Crowder, I think. That that Cavs roster, that supporting cast, is very on par with this Heat supporting cast. And nobody's going to say that Jimmy Butler is better than LeBron. So that's why I feel like this run is more impressive, because Jimmy's not a top-10 player or wasn't regarded as one going into this run. And the supporting cast is a lot weaker. It just is. You want to know why this is more impressive? Who did the Heat play? They played the Bucks with Giannis. Yes, Giannis missed two games in that series. I don't care. Giannis Antetokounmpo is arguably the best player in basketball besides Nikola Jokic. I mean, you could even make an argument Giannis is better. I, right. I, I'm not going to dispute that right now. But 
Look who the Heat played. The Heat played the Bucks. They ha- had to go against Giannis. They won what in game f- in five games? I don't even yeah. remember at this point. Yeah, five games. They were an eight seed. They won. They had to m- win the play in, beat the Bucks, and then the next round they had to beat the Knicks. A little bit easier, um, but like you play who's in front of you. Knicks, Cavs. It's a four five. <laughs> Those were true four fives in the Eastern Conference, and they they still beat them. This one, they go against the Boston Celtics, the betting favorite. The sports books could not get enough of the Boston Celtics. Every odds you mentioned last show, take Jokic MVP right now. It's you're not going to get better odds. You're not, and even though that was a little a little scary right there because it was Jokic might have been plus odds if the Celtics won that game. Oh, he would have been. He would have been. It went down to minus one twenty, and now it's all the way up, back up to minus three twenty, just because the Celtics are not in there. That shows how good this Celtics team truly was. Every analytics thing loves them, and that those are all. Even the Knicks series, the Knicks were favored against the Heat, and then let's look at these Cavs series. You ready? The Cavs played the Pacers. Who was the best pl- Pacer in that series? Oladipo. Yeah. Lance Stevenson. They had to go to seven games in that one. The Cavs versus the Raptors. Do we really need to do another Raptors rant of how bad that team was? They couldn't get it done in the playoffs. LeBron owned them. The Tennessee Titans of the NBA, the Toronto (laughs) Raptors. Even though the Raptors did win a ring, so I can't really say that. And then they played the Celtics. They went to seven games with that Celtics team. Tatum, as a rookie, like... They they were so young and they, with no Kyrie, Kyrie. Were, yeah. no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward, like, they, and they t- still took him to seven games. That was one of the easiest finals runs if you look at it. But that Cavs team, it's still a remarkable run. Going back, I know it's long form. Going back to the original question, it's not even close. This Heat team, it, it it's not getting. It sound, this sounds like Mark Jackson, but it's not getting the respect it deserves. It's not, and I think you bring up a great point when you talk about their path because if you look at the Cavs' path, those teams are not as good as the teams that he had to play this time. And if Arguably, go, that Knicks team is better than all three of those teams. I would argue that as well. The only, yeah, I would argue that as well. So I'm going to agree with your point there based on the Heat's path because if you look at those Cavs teams that they had to play, I would argue the Heat's path this year, and you said it before, even the Knicks would probably be better than any of those teams the Cavs played in 2018 on that run. And we've, we've harped on this point before on the podcast. The talent level in this league has exponentially grown from 10 years ago. So if you're looking at teams from 2015, 14, like the 7, 8 seeds during that time, there's so many better teams this year in the league that he had to go through. And so that's why I think this Heat team, this run they're making is 100% better than the 2018 Cavs run. I think they're both very impressive, but they still had LeBron, and they still had people picking them to go to the finals. And they had a weaker conference they had to go through. This Heat team has knocked off a couple of juggernauts on their way. And nobody had pegged them to do this before the year. And anybody that's like, we should have seen this coming, Jimmy Butler after last year, blah, blah. No, we had an 82-game sample size to see this team. And nobody was bought in on them. They should barely, they barely made it out of the playing tournament. And you mentioned they had LeBron. That's the whole thing here is people are misconstruing the argument here is that, yeah, yeah LeBron's final, we're not, nobody is saying that. LeBron's run was worse than Jimmy Butler's run this year. That no one's saying that. It's the team part of it. The, right. The, the Cavs had LeBron. If I guarantee you, if you go back and look at the sports books odds, guarantee you the Cavs are probably the favorite still coming out. Yeah, I, I, I bet so too. I don't know. His supporting cast was weak, but um, as far as talent goes, top to bottom, the Heat are a worse team talent wise, and they've played harder teams. They've been unbelievable. Uh, should we talk about the finals now? I think we should. I think we should. Heat Nuggets. Imagine that. 
imagine that finals. I texted a couple people. First response, I said, what are your thoughts on Nuggets Heat finals? First response I got, NBA TV. <laughs> Couldn't said it better myself. But the thing is, it's not NBA TV. The basketball part of it, for people who do love basketball, this is gonna be. This was the best outcome out of the Final Four, I think, from a basketball perspective. Yeah, ratings-wise, maybe not as great, but the storylines of it all are just as compelling as Lakers-Celtics, in my opinion. I mean, this heat run is crazy. I do agree about the heat run. I don't know if it's the best outcome. I think the Nuggets might stomp the Heat, and the Celtics could have been a little more competitive. That's maybe. fair. That's fair, but I think just watching game to game and how it's played, I still think from a basketball side, it's going to be more fun to watch, like more pure basketball. Because, yes, it might have been closer games with the Celtics, but I, I still think the same result happens. I still think the Nuggets would have wiped anybody who was playing. As a true basketball fan, I like to consider myself one. I'm just very excited to see what Spolster does against Jokic. I'm so excited to see I, because – Is Udonis they, Haslam going to play? They brought out that zone against the Celtics, and they didn't know what to do. Boston did not know what to do. Miami zone bothered them, contested threes, weird decisions off the dribble. They made guys pick up their dribble, and every time Jalen Brown even put the ball on the court, they were just diving in and reaching for it, which is the smart thing to do. I will say, I don't know if that zone is going to work as well against Denver – I like Jokic against the zone. I think he always sees two passes ahead of everybody else. Whereas if you're the Celtics, you can swing, swing, and get the ball to the corner, but the defense has time to rotate. It was the right play, but the defense a lot of the time could rotate. Jokic can make that skip pass to the corner. He can make that pass two moves ahead of everybody else. He can hit the cutter in open space a lot quicker and a lot better decision-making than anybody on Boston could. They had Marcus Smart and Al Horford playing at the foul line against the zone. They're not as good a decision-makers as Jokic is. So I think he's really going to expose that zone. I'm not saying it's not going to work. But he might average 15 assists in the series if they consistently play that 2-3 zone. I would not be surprised if Jokic came out and averaged 35, 15, and 15 in this series. He's going to dominate. And it, if they play the zone, I mean, the Nuggets are going to win in four games if they play zone the whole time. The Nuggets are going to kill that zone. But the thing is, Spolstra's smart enough to know that. Yeah, I think he's smart They'll come up with some adjustment. Even if they come out of the zone, Spolstra will make the adjustments. He's an unbelievable coach. Not discounting that at all in any stretch. But what I am going to talk about is Bam Adebayo has been skating by. He's been riding Jimmy Butler's coattail for quite some time now because he has not been very impressive in these playoffs. And everyone's talked about he's this defensive monster and everything. He's like, not really. He's and also offense. What does he? What does he give you? I mean, he's a he's a good passer. He can he knows understands spacing pretty well, but. Like, when he gets the ball in the post, you're not confident going in. I mean, Derek White was kind of bullying him last night. Let me cook real quick, Carter. Get the TikTok camera on, because I was talking about this last night. For somebody that's praised as much as Bam Adebayo is, and yes, every team should want a Bam Adebayo on their team, but for somebody that's praised as much as he is, he gets almost no criticism. He gets almost no criticism for a guy that is regarded as the second-best player on the team that's in the finals right now, and people hype him up like he's a superstar. He's a great player, great defender. He's not reliable on offense. They start him 30 feet from the basket. Maybe that's a scheming thing. I'm not entirely sure. They start him 30 feet from the basket, and he was missing bunnies over Derek White. He just wasn't aggressive. I've never seen a center that gets praised as much as he is be less aggressive a lot of times. Going after rebounds, I, I don't know, Carter. I just don't see it. Is he DeAndre Ayton with better PR? <laughs> I don't think that's awful to say. I think Aiton's more polished off offensively and gives less of a crap on defense. Bam gives more effort, but 
as far as like actual production and results, it, I think it's comparable. I think Bam's got a better support system around him. Butler makes him look better than he is. I think he's a great player. Don't get me uh, wrong. Da, 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 da. I don't know about support system. I think Aiton's got a better support system than Bam. But as far as like like Katie and Booker cook on their own, and then everybody's like, oh, Aiton, blah, blah, blah. As far mm-hmm. as like team, team gelling yeah, that's together. Fair. That's fair. Well, that Chris Paul, but like even when Chris Paul's healthy, nah. you're not when that when DeAndre Aiton comes up for that Chris Paul pick and roll, you're like all right, like, cool. They, yeah. There's, like, a 30% chance they score here. Yeah, I don't know. I just think Bam's going to get exposed this series, and I hope he doesn't. North Carolina guy, I like him as a person. I think he's a great player, but I think he gets praised entirely too much for the actual results that we see. You know, he does affect the game in a lot of ways that don't show up in the box score. He alters a lot of shots. He hustles after balls a lot. I'm not going to fault him for that. It's just being aggressive on offense – I don't know, Carter. To be it's supposed to be the second guy, second best guy on a final team, we're, I'm gonna have to see a jump. We're gonna have to see one of these guys, the Duncan Robinsons, the Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martins. They've got to step up because we saw it in this in the last series. Like, why, I don't know why. Why do we deviate from what we know? We know Jokic is going to cook every big man in the league every year. Everyone, all analytics people are like Rudy Gobert. He's the best defender in basketball. Yeah. Jokic cooked him. Chef Boyardeed him. Next round, who do they play? DeAndre Ayton. I mean, <laughs> that wasn't going to be close. Nobody expected anything else other than Jokic to cook him. Then what happens? Who do they play in the Western Conference Finals? The best big man defender that everybody says averages almost two and a half blocks in these playoffs, Anthony Davis, and he cooked him. Why is he not going to absolutely murder Bam Adebayo this series? That's why Like, it does – scare me that every if you go on twitter every single person is nuggets are going to win nuggets are going to win in four nuggets are going to win in five take everything nuggets Jokic stats all this but like if you've watched these games why how can you disagree with that but then the counterpoint to that is the heat just keep winning like there's no explanation for the heat winning these games i'm very curious to see how spolster handles this because the nuggets bread and butter is that foul line extended, top of the key, handoff, dribble handoff with Murray and Jokic. And Gabe Vincent's pick-and-roll defense has been very good in the playoffs. He played very well against Boston. I wonder how they're going to handle that pick-and-roll handoff. And I also wonder if Spolster is going to – there's two approaches you can take. The first one is leave Bam on an island, play him one-on-one, and let him Jokic score 40 if he has to, and let him beat you. Don't let him beat you with his passing. I think he's going to go more of the other way and run double teams at Jokic, run him off the line, make life uncomfortable – and he, Jokic is going to make the right pass. He's going to make the right read. But I think Spolster is going to make those role guys prove to him that they can hit those shots. He's going to make KCP hit four threes. He's going to make Michael Porter Jr. make the one more pass decision or shoot a three. He's going to make Aaron Gordon hit threes from the corner off a wide open swing pass. And until they do that, I think he's going to make Jokic's life tough and run doubles at him, which I think you have to do. I think if you're Miami, you can't let Jokic beat you by scoring 40. you got to make the other guys make shots. And they did. They did against the Lakers, and that killed the Lakers. you got to see if it's sustainable for the finals. you got to see if those role guys are still going to play to the level they did. One thing about the Nuggets, this is just a game one part of it. I know we're kind of like flip-flopping all over the place. Uh, the game one part of it, there's going to be some rust going into that game. I mean, they've had like over a week off, ton of time off. Uh, I think that's kind of advantageous for the Heat, but at the same time, like they came off a pretty grueling series, Game Seven on the road. Then they got to fly from Boston to Denver, and they got to play in altitude after playing a grueling series. If you're doing it from a betting perspective, I don't under. hate the uh, under, but Heat first half spread. 
Heat are going to come out, and then the altitude's going to catch up. The Nuggets come back, and then, bam, they kill them. I like that. If there was, like, a Heat to win the first half, Nuggets to win the game, yeah, don't know what that result, line is. Yeah. yeah, that would be nice. It's going to be tough, Carter, because the Nuggets are going to be a little rusty, and that's why I think Spolster's going to be running guys at Jokic and making other guys hit shots off his passes. He's going to make the right read, but we're going to see if KCP, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter can, are going to hit these shots. And that's an excellent point. Those guys are going to win them the finals. The MPJ, the Michael Porter Juniors, the KCPs, mm-hmm. the Jamal Murray hitting threes, Aaron Gordon making the right cut, right cuts, getting dunked, and he's got to hit at least one to two threes a game. And I don't know. A lot of people are a little too high on the Nuggets. I am too, but I'm not going to get fooled by this Heat team. I mean, they fooled us three, four. We yep. didn't even think. We thought they might lose in the play-in to the yep. Bulls. I did. I went after the Atlanta game. I was like, "Oh, this Heat team's done. They're giving up. They're ready to go to blow Cancun." Blow it up. Yep. Oh yeah, we were in blow it up mode. We were getting the TNT out and everything. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's hard for me to pick against them, Carter, but I'm not going to overthink it. I think the Nuggets are a well-oiled machine. Jokic is by far the best player in this series. By far the most consistent. Jamal Murray has been on a tear. The role guys have been hitting shots. Bruce Brown has been dynamite off the bench. I don't see a scenario in which this Heat team wins. And you know what? I said that against the Bucks too, and I said it against the Celtics before the series. And guess what? Here we are. So, who knows anymore? Who knows? Who knows exactly? But we have to put out a TikTok, you know, a quick little TikTok for everyone to get pissed about. Give me your finals prediction. My finals prediction, Carter, for this 2023 NBA Finals, I think the Heat are out of gas. They've been proving people wrong. All, all playoffs, the whole playoff run, they've been proving people wrong. Me included. I'll give them their credit. Credit is due. I think the Nuggets win in five. I think they're a superior team. I think they have the talent. They have the best player in the league, arguably. Jamal Murray's arguably pushing to be the second best player in the series. We've seen Jimmy Butler be very inconsistent for stretches. Now I think he'll show up in the finals. But Jamal Murray and Jokic, it's a tough combo. Denver's role guys have been stepping up. I think top to bottom, they're a better team. And I think they're going to wear this Heat team down. I think they're going to win in five. I have Nuggets in five, too. I think the Nuggets are going to roll. I think Butler and them, one of them has just a ridiculous game, a Butler 45-point game that is, can the Heat come back from down 2-1 or whatever. They Game three, he has that miraculous game. Yeah. I think Nuggets win in five. I think they lift the trophy in Denver, game five. Uh, I just I just don't know what answer they have for Nikola Jokic. No team has had yeah. it so far. I don't and l- let's kind of go back to, you know, the pre- previewing the series a little bit. What big men have the heat gone against? Willie uh, Robert Williams, Al Horford, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. I mean, this is a totally different animal. Yeah, they went against Giannis who was hurt a lot of the series, Brooke Lopez who you know, great defensive player. He's not an elite big man. And then, yeah, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle was off that whole series. And then Horford and Robert Williams, I mean, even against Tatum and Brown, like, they made their lives tough on the wing. None of them have, are at the caliber Jokic is playing at right now. I think the Nuggets are just a well-oiled machine, Carter. And eventually, I really do think that, like, the Heat's magic has to run out. Like, the, the bottom, like, top-to-bottom level talent has to rise to the top. And in a final series like this, I know it's the Nuggets', the Nuggets first finals appearance, I get that. I don't think it's going to matter, Carter, the way they're playing. I really don't. I don't think it matters either. And the last thing I'll touch on in this series, Caleb Martin is not going to do this in the finals. I I will say that right here. I know people are going to be like, how can you say that? He just did this in the Eastern Conference Finals in Boston. No, 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 no. Caleb Martin, it has to run out at some time. 
There will be at least one, probably two games where Caleb Martin shoots like three for 17. Yes. I he's going. You. He's going to talk himself. Caleb Martin walks on the court and thinks, I am the best player on this court. That is either a great thing or it's the worst thing that can happen to your team. You know who else does that? Marcus Smart. I will say if Tyler Hero does come back for game three like he's reported to, that's going to take some of the offensive pressure off Caleb Martin. So maybe he won't, you know, he won't be the second guy. That's also that's also another wrinkle into this is like how does the chemistry work when he comes back? I don't know. I uh, It'll be interesting to see. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Game one, Thursday night, ABC. So excited in Denver. I think the Nuggets are going to steamroll them. Give me Nuggets in five, final prediction. Uh, and you have Nuggets in five as well, correct? I have Nuggets in five. All right. Let's. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about, Nick Nurse, head coach of the 76ers. Did not expect that, I'll be honest. I thought he was – honestly, if you're Boston – are you kind of pissed you didn't just lose after game four and you could have had Nick Nurse? I think Nick Nurse would have been the Celtics head coach if they lose game four and they had time to woo him because otherwise, like, Missoula's gone. Well, there must have been some rumblings maybe when they came back from down 3-0 that, like, oh, Missoula might have just saved his job. It's not a sure thing he's going to get fired. So then Nick Nurse was like, okay, let me just do this. I think it's I think it's a home run hire. I think Nick Nurse is a great coach. He was great in Toronto. And I think the Sixers needed a different voice in the locker room, and especially with a guy that has proven playoff success. They had that crazy 2019 run where they won the title. He's been a pretty consistent, solid coach. I'm curious to see how he'll mesh if Harden ends up coming back and that whole group. But I think for like a guy like Tyrese Maxey, this is a great hire. Yeah, I also think Harden's gone. I think so, too. I think that's probably run its course, and that might be for the best. I think the only way Harden was coming back was if Mike D'Antoni was the head coach or the Celtics paid him a gazillion dollars. He's going to Houston. Uh, the Suns are still without a coach. The Bucks hire uh, Dantley from the Raptors, if I remember correctly. And the Celtics, they're going to have a head coach spot open. It, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. If I'm Nick Nurse, I'm kind of wondering why, why the Sixers – but I, I guess Maury sold him, or he got I a think, lot of money. I think both those things are true, and it's also going to be a big culture change from Toronto, where he was running guys out there. He was playing like balls to the wall, press defense, forty-five minutes a game for your starters. Now he's going to have to manage Joel Embiid, who's going to have to be—he's going to have to be load managed next year because he can't break down like he did this year in the playoffs. He won his MVP. He's going to have to load manage a little bit. I know you think Harden's not going to be there, but let's just say he is. Harden's not going to go balls to the wall for 82 games. It's a much different dynamic. He can't play these starters 45 minutes. Tyrese Maxey can handle it, sure. But the other four guys, Harris, P.J. Tucker, you can't play those guys 45 minutes like you could with Siakam and Scotty Barnes. I think that's very true. Uh, Anything else in the NBA at all before we wrap up? There's going to be a lot of people that say that this finals isn't the best outcome, and I don't think there is a best outcome. You know, I'm just – I'm grateful to see the best two teams in the league. Maybe not the best two teams in the league, but the teams that made it to the finals, like they're the last two standing. No matter who it is, it's a testament to the how good they've been during the playoff run. And I think that's fair. Everybody clamoring for Lakers and Celtics. Yeah, it would have been cool. Battle for 18 and the ratings will just spike. Sure, that's fine. But from a basketball perspective, I think this is going to be an entertaining series. Even though I think it's going to be Nuggets and five. I don't think it's going to be boring, though. Oh, last, last thing. I forgot to ask this. Would the, this is probably going on the TikTok? So, okay, if the Heat win this series, is this the greatest upset in NBA Finals history? I think it has to be. I really think it has to be for a team that nobody even thought would make it out of the playing tournament, a team with a negative point differential to beat a two-time MVP, arguably best player in the league, the one seed in the West, overall number one seed. I think this has to be the greatest Finals upset 
if the Heat pull it off. Just the run they've been on with the roster they have. I think it is too. The only other one I can think of was maybe Pistons against the Lakers. But yeah. if you look at the sportsbooks odds, it's pretty similar right there. I would say Pistons, Lakers in the mid 2000s. Maybe Mavs over the Heat in 11. I know this is recency bias. I'm not looking in the 80s and 70s and 60s series as yep. much because I just think Boston won every year in the 60s except for one. I was thinking 2011 Mavs over Heat just because the big names, Miami Big Three. But if you look at that Mavs team, what were they, 57 and 25? Like, they weren't a bum team during the regular season like the Heat were. No, no. It it still surprises you, though. And also, like, how they shut down LeBron. Anyhow, we don't have to get into that. But I also believe this would be the greatest upset in NBA Finals history. People would want to say the 2016 Cavs. The 2016 Cavs team was legit, too. I mean, they had prime LeBron, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving was on his game. They had other dudes stepping up. That, that, that's bull crap if you try and pull that card because they only had Curry, Draymond, and Clay. Yes, they went seventy three and nine, but that does not make that the greatest upset ever. I, I completely agree, and I think it's one of the greatest comebacks ever to be down three one in the finals. That's a different story. But as far as upsets go, just from a series perspective, no, you can't argue that. You can't argue that at all. All right, well, great show. The laptop lasted. We're at. <laughs> We finished Very at eight nice. percent. We started at thirty-five. We're down to eight percent. We made it. We barely made it. We had one hiccup in the middle, but we're here. Hey, great show. Great show. We're here. NBA Finals is Thursday. We'll be here all the NBA Finals. We'll do an NBA draft show with Adam Stanko here in a couple weeks, which is crazy. That's here. Like the NBA oh, I know. And we get to talk Hornets. We finally get to talk Hornets for once, and it's not forced, and it's not where I have to like start a timer and then stop it because we talk too much Hornets. I'm so excited. We get to talk about Scoop versus Brandon Miller. We get to talk all these different guys in the draft. We'll get into that later. Let's watch the finals now. I'm so excited. We're going to have football coming soon. Football's oh, yeah. on the back. I mean, I've been texting you today. I've already placed a bunch of college football futures. If you want them right now, Kansas plus 4,000 to win the Big 12. Duke plus 3,700. That's not a homer pick. I know I'm wearing a Duke shirt. I could not give a single F about Duke football. Let's be honest. I, I, am, a, I am the most convenient Duke fan there is. It's only convenient when they beat Carolina. That's all I care about. <laughs> I, will never, I will never go out of my way to watch Duke versus North Carolina A&T. I just won't. No, I can't blame you at all. Duke football's been a laughing stock for the last however many years. They actually, Mike Elko they, bringing they it back. They had a good stretch. They had yeah, a good no. stretch with Cutcliffe. Yeah, yeah, Daniel Jones, Jameson Crowder. They had some guys, I guess. Yeah, Sean Renfrey. Okay, all right. We got some guys. We've got guys. Um, Anyhow, that'll do it from us. Uh, Make sure to subscribe. Subscribe, rate, review. Do what you can to do to help out. Check out the YouTube if you're not watching already on there. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever. Wherever you're listening, subscribe. Thank you for listening once again. Check out CarterCast.com. The blogs are coming back tomorrow. I'm going to have tennis picks. I'm going to put my women's tennis picks on there tomorrow. Oh, yep. man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I might have to deposit a little bit in the FanDuel account and tail some picks, Carter. I don't know. Or call the hotline. Or call the hotline. Or, yeah. JG <laughs> Whitworth. <laughs> yeah, call it. Yeah, we, 1-800-CASH-NOW. Anyhow, all right. That'll do it from us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.